0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Down the Garden Path, where each week we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. Hello there, I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down to Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host Matthew Dressing. Hello, Matthew.
1: Hello, Joanne, and good evening everyone, and thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens which are sustainable and low maintenance and we want to help you make it happen.
0: That's right and tonight we are really looking forward to uh, talking about um, some of the fall questions we get uh, especially around roses. So we are definitely excited to talk about that because I've noticed that a lot in social media haven't you Matt? You know, and yes. and we get frequently asked questions too that Matt and I kind of save up. So we've got a whole bunch of frequently asked questions about what to do to protect our roses and what do you do at this time of year. Um, I was saying to you, mine I have carpet roses and they're having their third flush, so it's like mid October and it's beautiful weather, and my roses are happy. And what do I do with them? So um, so we thought if we're wondering the same thing, you must be too
1: so we're going to help you with that right that's right we are going to talk about all the roses and putting them to sleep uh and what we do and what we do not need to do uh for putting them to bed because i often get some questions about uh the extensive pruning and what we have to get them into shape for for going into the winter and i think everyone thinks that uh There's a lot more work than maybe we really have to do. And a lot of it is actually back ended in the spring and getting ready for that. So just very quickly, um, as we know, there are a lot of different types of roses that are are out there in the garden center that people uh, can go and pick up. And some of them um, are some names here, just like hybrid teas, floribundas, grandifloras, There are shrub roses, there's Joanne's carpet roses, and then there's the ever popular miniature Mm -hmm. uh, roses as
0: well. Cute. also known as those impulse purchases at the grocery store right people see yeah. <laughs> those beautiful little things at the grocery store on their way to the cash register through the produce department or whatever and they're like oh my gosh this is so cute you know and they really are super hearty so uh so yes yeah, so i always love to consider those um like the ultimate uh impulse purchase when you because nobody goes to the grocery store to buy mini roses right like you're there <laughs> for all the other things but you know you see that beautiful beautiful uh you know flowering rose bush with those t- teeny tiny leaves and the teeny tiny flowers so yes so to me I feel like those are like the ultimate grocery store impulse purchase but um and many of our like many listeners might know exactly what roses they have in their garden and many might not so I think it's great that um you know you give us the the um the names of the Matt. is there any way you could like describe the
1: the, the little variations of them yeah so Hybrid teas, they're probably the ones that we really associate most with that kind of classic rose. I know when I think of roses, I mean, there's that classic, uh, you know, double, very fluffy, filled with petals, that classic single stem kind of appearance in our roses. And what we get out of those, that generally tends to be like the hybrid tea group. So it's the hybrid tea roses um, all of our roses, uh, at least here uh, in the greater Toronto area, are deciduous roses. So they'll all lose their leaves uh, during the winter. So we have uh, these deciduous shrubs. But hybrid teas create those uh, big flowers on the single flower on the end of every single stem. And they do grow up to anywhere from three to eight feet tall and about two to three feet wide so hybrid teas are those classic um those classic single stem like roses Mm -hmm. come up and on the end you get that one maybe two blossoms uh there that you get on the end so they are that and there seems to be a gap right like they will bloom and then there's like a
0: long like six week gap and then they might bloom again you know that kind of thing so it's not That is my like the downside because when I first started gardening yes of course I wanted a hybrid tea but um, then when you see how little they actually bloom for the space that they take up in the garden sometimes.
1: Yeah exactly exactly Um, so they're going to just that kind of bloom in flushes and we can do some pruning and uh, things like that to kind of encourage more of those um, to come out but yeah um, our next group that we often hear about is our Floribunda roses. So these are again, um, single one or two stems that come out per stem or like flowers per a single stem. But at the end of this stem, instead of getting one nice big blossom, we tend to get nice clusters um, instead. So we can get some nice clusters that are of a good size. they are a few inches. Uh, tall and wide. They're fairly free flowering. um, And they usually come with some sort of fragrance as well. So those are the flora bundas. So there's an abundance of blossoms. Um, These guys will grow anywhere. Again, there's about that one to three feet to uh, three to eight feet, depending on the cultivar. And then again, we're going to see the different seasons, a little bit more free flowering, uh, but we do see a little bit of a gap here and there as well. I skipped the width. These guys can get kind of wide, so you can get them anywhere from three to six feet wide as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, These guys are also generally hardy through zones four through nine, most of the the modern uh, cultivars there as well, and same with those hybrid teas as well. Okay. And then one of the
0: oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what's the distinction? Because the next variety is, and it's very popular, and they tend to be very hardy. Um, yeah. Are the shrub roses? So, is there an easy way to tell the difference between a floribunda rose and a shrub rose?
1: Usually, you get more of. Um, you can get singles and doubles as well. But usually, again, you get some clusters, some smaller clusters um, of the roses, but also you get a lot of depending on, like, if you're looking at Rosa Virgoza, you can get a lot of the different, um, different variations of the amount of thorns and things that you can get on your, your shrub roses as well, depending on, on the type. But that's what I usually think of as well. Tend to be more singles, a little bit more rounded and mounded, at three to four by four by four. And again, depending on the cultivar, because there's a lot of new uh, mm. and improved cultivars coming out, such okay. as, like, the Knockout series. So okay. look a lot more like uh, the hybrid teas to like the grandiflores where you can get singles uh, and doubles and then you can get a single one on the end of a stem or very small clusters and then you get very few uh, roses and I've got a number of those blooming actually just around my place right now.
0: Okay so the short answer is no it's hard to tell the difference between it be hard to tell the difference. <laughs> I
1: usually that. go yeah by like knowing what kind of cultivar it is or just kind of you getting up with that like Rosa rugosa kind of look. So when I think of shrub roses, I think that rose bush that you find out in like Walmart, right? Like you see in the parking lot. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. Those, I feel, I feel like those are more like the wild roses, but I think they're like, yeah. Like I think they've always, yeah. But like the, um, I think of the series when I first started designing, um, Oh my gosh, the um, explorer roses, right? Like the all the ones that are named after explorers, like Champlain and the names a little escape me, but those were more hardy sh- shrub roses, were they not?
1: Yeah, yeah. So okay. they were definitely they were developed to withstand those like Canadian winters, but they can okay. survive in in all of our summers as well.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, that's good. Well, so I mean, I think. Um, They really have for our listeners, like they really have uh, come a long way there. There's a lot of variety of uh, of roses out there. And, um, yeah, I mean, the carpet and I think the last few years, especially maybe last five, I guess, carpet roses, um, you know, I think with smaller gardens, don't you think? And so they still have the clusters, but they just tend to be more sometimes they're called carpet. Sometimes they're called drift roses. They stand to just stay smaller they could be at the front of the garden, um, more like a ground cover roses, another term. So those terms are all kind of used interchangeably. Um, but my biggest thing for them is they tend to be um, much more prolific uh, rebloomers. What do
1: you think? Yes, agree that they blue rebloom much much more reliably and cover themselves completely uh, in those flowers for sure. Yeah. The the carpet roses also tend to be more um you can also see the kind of those ground cover types as well so they're not going to be very very tall and bushy and take up massive uh amounts of space either so you can get kind of that two to three feet tall and that four to five feet wide section or or shrub as well so they're good for mass plantings or small groupings at the edges of beds and things like that
0: okay All right. And then I guess our last one is those little miniatures that we talked about, those little impulse purchases at the grocery store. And they are actually quite hardy, aren't they?
1: Yeah, they're very hardy. A lot of people because they're in grocery stores or you'll see them in garden centers around uh, houseplant displays or even in your like your annual section. Uh, of garden centers as well, Uh, but they are very hardy. They can be very, very hardy. Um, They are hardy up to usually about um, minus about 10 to 20 degrees, depending on your space, but you can overwinter them uh, fairly easy, whether they're in the ground or whether you've got them, uh, you've picked them up for the year and treat them kind of as a a half hardy perennial, like a, a fountain grass or something where you protect them for for the winter but yeah surprisingly they're quite hardy uh, as well and again that knockout series of shrub roses uh proven winners or was it proven winners i think it was one of the new roses there's a new miniature red rose uh that kind of has come out that is definitely a lot more hardy it was brand new for this year and i'm totally blanking on i'm googling i'm googling are you googling <laughs> yeah i'm googling for you <laughs> thank you i'm googling for yeah, you. yeah about 18 inches by 18 inches again clusters of those classic double red roses okay um the ease
0: uh oh so easy roses are the proven winter roses i believe um okay yeah that series and also known for disease resistance which is good because we are, you know, that's what we're gonna get to. Are you thinking about you know, you live in La Vida Rose? No, you know what it yeah. was?
1: It was. Um, I think it was meat petite.
0: Oh, yeah. Red I think rum. you might have mentioned that uh in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah so was... yeah,
0: some of these um, you know, proven winter ones, oh, so easy. There's some really cool colors. I love this hot paprika and um easy peasy. With really pink with a nice bright yellow center and uh, Ringo all-star and cherry pie. I've heard that one is really quite good too. Oh, so easy, cherry pie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, oh, and mango salsa.
1: Oh, mango salsa is quite nice as well. Yes.
0: Yeah. So that's good. So definitely if you're looking for some new varieties, um, then check out uh, Proven Winners. Uh, website and and search for uh, roses and uh, I mean I think the oh so that is one you know advantage of the oh so easy um, ones is that they are fairly disease resistant so yeah
1: yes, um, they truly are oh so easy when it comes to that <laughs> That's
0: right. that's right. So okay, we've gone through the varieties of roses. Um, as far as this time of year, there's well, oh, we did not talk about climbing rows too, which I think are they hybrid teas or are they their own species?
1: Yeah, I as far as the botanics go, I honestly am, I am not honestly sure. I believe they are a hybrid. I don't know if hybrid teas are one of their their parents, um, but we can definitely quickly look for that. But they are okay, tend to be classified as their own group of. Um, roses. So you get your climbing roses and they can grow anywhere from eight to 12 feet tall and uh, that's six foot to six to eight feet wide. And then when you get into the smaller climbing roses, you can get the, what they classify really as like the pillar types. So those are any of them that are like that five to six foot range and then lower from there.
0: Okay. All right. Um, so I've noticed quite a few questions lately. So I would think like, we want to talk about, okay, what should people be doing now for their roses? Which ones do you want to start with? I mean, cause even though there's all those different types of varieties of roses, I don't know that I think they could be grouped differently um, as far as the maintenance, right? Am I explaining myself?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we get into things like um, your shrub roses and your climbing roses versus your miniatures, your hybrid teas, your grandifloras and florabundas. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the other ones I think I jumped over was the grandifloras. Um, so they are, are are clustered roses, much like the floribundas, uh, but they tend to have slightly bigger roses. And they tend to be that three to four foot range, tall and wide as well. So yeah, so when you get into our hybrid teas, grandifloras, floribundas, uh, and not often the miniature roses, but just mainly those three. Uh, Those three tend to be grafted. So we tend to have uh, the cultivar that is grafted so that we have a nice hardy shrub rose rootstock um, often. And then we've got our cultivar of our grandiflora or floribunda or hybrid tea that is then grafted onto our rootstock. So, when it comes to winter time, that graft is the weak spot in the Achilles heel of our roses. So, if it is exposed to the freezing and the thawing cycle, we can see that graft fail or take damage. And either the rose won't survive or will kind of come through the winter damaged. And one of the things that can Uh, often happen when we see that top of the rose die is that the roots are still survived or because we've grafted a very hardy rootstock those roots can differentiate and put out that shrub rose or whatever type of rose that rootstock is um, up instead of the other plant so we want to make sure that we protect that graft site Uh, And so these groups, including the miniature roses, even though uh, it doesn't really have that graft spot at all, we want to mound up about six inches around the base of all of our roses. When we get into like the explorers and um, like the shrub, other shrub types and the climbing roses, we don't really have to do Uh, much mounding at all we can leave the leaf debris to mound and pile around them or we could mix some triple mix like we would mix with our grandifloras hybrid teas and floribundas in with some leaf debris or some loose soil and mulch together and mound around that six inches uh, above the ground to protect that graft okay one of the important things to do with or when that graft is, is we don't want to do it too early. So right now, uh, even though it is early October, it's beautiful. A lot <laughs> of the roses are still going, but it's too warm for us to mound around those roses. So if we do it now or we do it before a good Uh, first frost doesn't have to be super heavy but we want a little bit of that frost overnight to start to stimulate that shutdown and we want to make sure that we're getting into those temperatures so that when we do mound the soil and other debris around to protect our roses it doesn't sweat on the graft and we cause fungal uh, or other disease pest issues at the graft and that will also cause it to fail so we want a good frost um a light to medium frost frost to start to appear in our forecast after our first one to go out and mound it or you'll often also hear them called hilling our roses Mm. because we're building that little hill arounding so mounding or hilling our roses okay
0: So, um, you and I both agree, but I'm going to ask you anyway for the benefit of our <laughs> listeners is so you can do this hilling and mounding without any gadgets, right? <laughs> I use the term yeah. in, in, in brackets. You know, we don't need necessarily little plastic rings. We do certainly don't need styrofoam. We don't, you know, again, we're here to help you make your garden as low maintenance as possible. And storing, you know, buying these things and storing these things is you know, maintenance, I think. Um, So, yeah, so we can, um, with the soil in your garden, right? And adding it like a little bit of leaf debris,
1: is that something that we can also add in the hilling? Yeah, I like to mix a little bit of that leaf debris just to kind of create some air pockets and some air circulation in there. So we're not really mounding and compacting uh, or hilling a bunch of just soggy, wet soil that's up there. It allows a little bit of air circulation in there. Uh, and keeps things nice and cool but also somewhat breathable and then you're exactly right when you get into this time of year you'll head out to your independent garden centers uh or wherever you like to buy your gardening supplies from and you'll often see things like uh rose collars and so these are like one foot or 12 inch wide pieces of uh, perforated plastic again just to let air in and you basically use they usually come with some sort of tie or clasp or something and you put it around the rose. But if you've got a nice big mature rose you're protecting, uh, we're not going to be hacking it back at this point. So it can be difficult to get them all the way around it. If you have to pile tons of stuff in there and then you've got this collar right against the lower branches of your rose it just becomes cumbersome and it's unnecessary Mm. so you can definitely just mound things around it's also not the time of year to start pruning heavily all of our roses back so right when you mention that styrofoam cone you know well i've done it this way forever i just keep hacking it back and hacking it back and you like force fit this styrofoam bucket over your your rose, and now it's sitting in that dome, and it'll heat and it'll sweat, and you've just pruned yeah. the daylights out of it. So
0: and I would think breeding ground for them, that's where we're gonna get fungus and yeah. you know, all kinds of
1: stuff, right? So if there's any other yeah. overwintering insects in there, the winter can come and kill. Not that it doesn't get cold in there, but you get these days where Uh, The styrofoam is meant to, like the hilling, right, is to mitigate that freezing and thawing and keep things just a little bit more more warm and those temperatures consistent. So, yeah, when we get that warmth in this closed dome and this heating in the sun, yeah, we get all these other issues that can possibly Mm -hmm. jump up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And And like you,
0: like you said that you're the protecting part is you're protecting the graft. For me, like I think people when they see those domes, they think they have to protect the whole bush. Right. And, and that's not the case. So just knowing that, um, and also, I, and that being said, I know there's a lot of people who think they need to bring in the roses for the winter that, yeah. you know, that they might not be hardy. So, um, so there's a lot. Of, I mean, I get it. There's a lot of, lot to learn new gardeners. I can remember when I first started too. Right. So, so I want to just put everybody's mind at ease that all roses are that are sold in Ontario, I mean, I know we have listeners from, from the U S as well listening. Um, but if the roses are sold out, you know, at garden centers and things like that, that for the most part, they, aren't they all hardy for your, uh, the zone where you bought them from. Right. Um, yeah, And exactly. they're not, you know, they're not like tropical plants, uh, house plants that have to be like banana plants and, and things like that have that have to be uh, the mandivella, that type of thing that have to be brought inside. So chances are what you've bought can is winter hardy regardless of your winter and uh yeah so that's all
1: sorry i interrupt you <laughs> no no you were dead on exactly i just gonna say yeah i mean the graft is again that weak spot right we're cultivating mm-hmm. the desired properties of this rose that we like um but not necessarily when we cultivate that rose are those roots necessarily hardy to everywhere but the plant material above is right Um, yeah so yeah it's the weak spot is is that graft that we really want to protect yeah okay Okay. yeah so there's lots of stuff to do it but again it's much more low maintenance than you really we think that it is you might have to buy a little bit of extra soil or a little bit extra mulch depending on your garden situation Um, or if you have some compost in your composter but you don't need all the cones and collars and all the fancy gadgets and stuff to do it the plant is right. yeah okay so
0: the hilling is for so just recap so which roses yeah. do we need to hill
1: or a mound yeah we want to hill or a mound our hybrid teas our grandifloras our florabundas, and our mini roses our miniature uh, okay roses. Mm-hmm. miniature roses. right okay and okay guys usually the the climbing roses or the pillar roses, depending on the size. And then your shrub roses are tough enough already. They're mm-hmm. generally not grafted. Um, and if they are, they, they tend to have a stronger graft and they don't need all that additional protection. Now, if you've got an open space and you're kind of, you know, exposed or you're just kind of worried about it, maybe it's a new plant and you want to give it some new protection, you could mount some stuff around it. But okay, there's no I, harm there's no harm there, but it's not necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, Um, Yeah. That's good
0: to know. I mean, and I, I think that tends to be why, um, you know, as a landscape designer, I pretty much don't design like, unless the clients really want them or they already have them um, with, with those roses because um, everybody wants, you know, low maintenance and those are, don't get me wrong. They are considered low maintenance, but I just think shrub roses, knockout roses, carpet roses, um, Um, uh, drift roses are lower maintenance and more uh, more flat like longer bloom time I think so I think that's what makes them more desirable for me if I'm going to put them in someone's garden I know my own roses uh, carpet roses I mean they they certainly at the end of the season are not looking great Uh, and 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 spring too I'm like I'm always like oh boy did I did they make it through are they going to be okay and then poof you know, they are. So, um, so yeah, so I'm very happy. And like I said, mine, mine are, um, a really nice, um, oh my gosh, it's a pink, but it's, um, not your traditional pink. Uh, it'll come to me the color, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're doing well. So, um, one is doing better because the other one, unfortunately my rose geranium has eaten it. So oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know that what's happening underneath there. So I, have got to do some rearranging in, uh, in my garden, but the one, uh, that's kind of in front of my rose geranium is doing quite well and uh, and is blooming uh, very nicely. Uh, so yeah, uh, and people they, it's a color that people don't even um, from across the street they're like, what is that blooming? you know um, it's more like a poppy or it's it's um, um, yeah, yeah, because it just blooms for so long. Such a long bloomer and mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm.
1: very nice.
0: yeah. So is there anything that we really need to do for those for, you know, shrub roses
1: and carpet roses? Not until we end up getting into for as far as winter protection, not so much. No. Okay. If you ended up having rabbits or rodents are an issue, maybe you live near green belt or green space. There are some treatments that you can spray on them uh, if they tend to eat the bases of your roses. Okay. uh, Like a scoot that could repel rabbits. There's different chemicals or treatments like Bobex, uh, Scoot, uh, Ortho be Gone, Animal begone Max, things like that that you can spray on them. Doesn't hurt the animals at all, but as they go over towards them or as they start to nibble on them, that's where you're going to end up um, uh, just discouraging them. They're going to taste that that spray and then they'll walk away or. Or, or leave it all together.
0: Scamper away. Scamper away. <laughs> I don't think they're really walking. Matt,
1: <laughs> Get up on their two know.
0: legs. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's right. That's what? right. Hmm. Okay. Was a fit yeah, yeah. So as far as, and that's very true about your other, your hybrid teas, your floor abundance, things like that. And that's one of the other benefits of... Not only are we going to get a frost before we mound and hill our roses, but if we start to get those frosts, those heavy frosts and freezes, our animals are also going to start to think about protecting themselves and burrowing and spending more time there. So it kind of changes their their mindset a little bit as well as they get ready ready for winter too mm-hmm. and it does take a few frosts as well so I've seen some
0: people like panic I'm like oh my god we especially those years we get an early frost you know and yeah. they panic like I think last year I think we got one like in September last year and here we are mid midway through October and, right. and no sign of one so I think people also think oh my gosh you know there's a frost, the frost scheduled for tomorrow. I, now I got to do all this work in my garden after the frost. And it's not really as black and white as that. Like, you know, it, no, it's, no. it's, it's slowly the signaling to the plant to plants to, in your garden to kind of wind down, but it's not like you flipped a switch on or off. So, right. so just because we get a frost, you know, it doesn't mean the next day you've got to be out doing things. Um, You know, it just, it you know, you've got a few more frost, right? Like, cause even the yeah. hostas, the first frost frost doesn't kill the leaves of the is yet. It usually takes a, you know, a, a really hard one.
1: Yeah, really, so. hard. exactly. Like we were saying earlier, right? That's the first frost. That's when we're going to get that signal to start. Uh, the rose turning off, but that's when we want to start thinking about mounding it. We don't want to mound it when it sweats. So yeah, when it's right. in the forecast. Not that it's it's one now, a freak one in September, and then it's November before we see another one. It'd be November and the other ones that we can see coming up, and frost becoming more regular in your area that mm-hmm. we're ready to start healing and mounding those roses. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, oh. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, no. I was just going to say, is it that time of the show?
1: (laughs) It is. It's that time of the show where I like to stop for our mid-show station ID and podcast promotion. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But thank you. Yes, everyone here for joining us. Uh, Usually live, but tonight, uh, as you heard at the beginning, it is recorded i uh, here for you on Reality Radio 101. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my lovely co-host, Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the guests that join us here on the show. Don't forget to spend more time with us Down the Garden Path you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Our handle there is at Down the Garden Path Podcast. And you can also find us on your favorite podcast provider. So don't forget, while you're looking at the podcasts, uh, you know, please hit that subscribe button to be notified of new comments. And please don't forget to like, share, and leave us a comment. We love hearing. From our wonderful listeners, no matter where you are, we love hearing your city and your zone and what you guys are up to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can always write our questions uh, here at instudio101 at gmail.com. Even during the recorded episodes, uh, Joanne and I, no matter what we're doing, we tend to see our uh, emails get sent to us by our wonderful producer on the show, Gary. You can also find us and write us at our websites. You can find Joanne at the number 2 earthca So down2earth.ca. And you can find myself at www.naturalaffinity.ca. So That's right. Them. Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. And we do. um, And I've got some quick listener questions, because we do um, in between shows and during shows, we get often lots of email questions. So we've got a frequently um, asked question list. And I've got some rose questions on there. So, so we're gonna get to those as part of our show as well. And now that we talked about the winter protection, so really, it isn't as much as people think, right? Um, I do want to cover the climbing roses though, because that can be one where people, there's a lot of misinformation out there. I know I I was mentioning, I saw one where um, somebody was told that they actually have to take the canes off of the trellis and lay them down and bury them. Um, But that's not the case. I mean, climbing roses are very hardy, aren't they?
1: Yeah, climbing roses are very hardy. And I think that kind of stems from another type of rose that we see. Uh, you can find in your garden center, that kind of that tree rose. Mm -hmm. So you get them grafted in a standard or a small tree form. But in this one, the graft is at head height or above the ground. It's usually three to five feet off the ground, depending on the stem of your tree form. And that's the one that you need to dig up, tip over and bury to protect that graft. So we've got the height in the climbing roses and the height in tree form. But it's the tree that needs to be wintered because the graft is above so far of the ground. So as okay. far as your climbing roses go, no, we can leave them up. And again, we can add some, you know, leaf and soil or mulch debris around the base, or even just letting, if you've got some shade tree somewhere in the yard, letting the leaves kind of collect there as leaf litter just to overwinter there uh, will add a little bit of protection as well, but it's just a, at the base. Just at, yeah. Just at the base, we can let, leaves fall and kind of mound around there okay okay but the the the,
0: the-, the long arms that are you know on a trellis are exposed you know this time of year there's nothing there's no cutting it back this time of year right we don't want to right. even if it, even if it's dying i i think you you want to refrain because one thing people forget is that pruning of any kind again whether it's roses or boxwoods or whatever um we're actually pruning to and it encourages group growth once you trim it that's telling the plant okay i need to grow i need to send some energy here and grow and in the fall we don't want to encourage that right so so you know regardless of your canes and the situation on how high they are and even if next year you want to bring it down a bit
1: um now is not the time to do it right right now isn't the time to do it and then thinking about winter protection too, all of the different roses are using the branches that they've already got out and around themselves, around if you imagine the core, or the center of the plant, we as it grows, you can't really touch. All of those external branches or those tips are also providing protection for the core of the plant and the roots. So if you end up cutting, for example, you have your uh, eight foot climbing roses, and you cut it back down to four feet, you cut it in half. Now the winter is going to come, depending on what winter you end up having, especially if it's a harsh or very weird up and down one, um, you can get the, the dieback that's going to happen in your Uh, Climbing rose is gonna start from that four foot mark instead of the eight foot mark. So now you're losing even more of your rose. So now you're gonna have your four footer down to like a two and a half footer. So leave it to eight feet. And this is true about your other roses and, and even your shrubs, leave them up, let them protect themselves. And then in the spring, when we look at the pruning, of our roses which is the better time to do it is the best time to do it that's when we can remove that additional dieback and those dead stems and we're going to have a greater amount of living rose material to flesh out and grow up and become a bigger stronger plant that year because we we haven't cut all of that good stuff away just to have half of that stuff die away and then have to fight to regrow again so yeah leave all your pruning until the spring
0: all right.
1: right. Yes. That
0: is good. So uh, I'm going to break out one of our questions from our yes. frequently asked list. And that is, is there anything that we can do now? Because... Um, aside from buying a rose or disease resistant roses, but with, you know, cause roses tend to get in the spring, um, black spot, mildews, you know, some other like fungal type issues. Um, is there anything, do we just treat in the spring or is there something we can do now to prevent and, and encourage a healthier start to their roses?
1: Mm. I think and you and I often talk about it on the show is when we have going into the fall and the winter, any of that diseased leaf debris, whether it's on a rose or a hydrangea or a dogwood or whatever, or or one of your big shade trees, try to clean those up and remove those from the garden situation. Don't compost them, just throw them out. So if you've got that situation, just watch as your roses uh, start to drop any of the powdery mildew-infected leaves or the black spot infected leaves, two big common ones for your roses, gather those up and get rid of them. So preventing any of that material from overwintering and spreading out. Outside of that, yes, we can use things like our garden sulfur or our copper sulfate, our Bordeaux. We can use that on our stems just to prevent any overwintering uh, insects or uh, diseases, foliar diseases that way. We can help kill some of those spores going through the winter now we do want to make sure that you know we're pruning properly and our cultural conditions are there as well right Um, a lot of the issues with our roses tend to be that they're so prone to insects and then a foliar diseases and a lot of it comes to that humidity that we can get because powdery mildew just lights up uh, or if we're improperly pruning our roses if they're crossing if the core is too congested with lots of stems and dense foliage there's no air circulation in the center so you get that breeding area there as well so what could come down to pruning uh, as mm-hmm. well and I think i yeah. As well as oh.
0: um I think people have a sunny spot in their garden that might be three by three and they think, Oh, I can put three rose bushes in this spot. Yeah. You know? So I think that's another thing is that realizing Um, You know, especially if you're just starting out, like look at the tag and how big are these rose bushes going to get and how wide and, you know, people might people do pay attention and I'm guilty of this too. you pay attention to the height but not necessarily the width. Yeah, and and so definitely that can be another cause of, you know, repeat black spot and repeat fungal issues um, when too many roses are are planted close together. Um, so I know uh, there are, we're limited more in Canada, right, on what we can do. There's no longer yeah. any systemic um, dusts and things like that that we can apply to our roses. And if you still have them from the past, and it's been banned for quite a while, so whatever you have is probably really not that effective, but still dangerous to your health. Um, you know and but garden fungicides like are those things that we spray now
1: or is that something more in the spring you can do you can do them then you can do them now or you can do them in the spring as well okay Um, so you can kill any spores that are have been set or have been set to overwinter or again in the spring as everything comes out and the moisture starts to hit especially in ones if you've got roses uh, or other perennials and shrubs that really are a trouble spot. If they are really heavily infected, I, I would do them both. Outside of that, I would watch to see them either spray them preventatively at the time you know that the humidity is coming up and, you know, we've had lots of rain, maybe do it preventatively as we get into the time in which that issue mm. will become a thing. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, and copper,
0: copper sulfate, you were saying that that's quite strong.
1: Yeah, copper sulfate. Copper is very toxic to uh, bird life and aquatic life. Uh, It also can be very toxic to the plant material as well. If you look at your copper, um, depending on what you get in Canada, we get a little cylinder, it's white. It's called Bordeaux by the trade name, and it's a heavy copper spray as well. But if you look, uh, it'll give you all these warnings you know, don't use around waterways, don't spill, don't leave that out for birds, and it kills insects and things like that. But it can also damage the plant. So you'll get things like your fruit trees, um, and I Don't have a container to look at roses right now, actually. Um, But yes, you can, if you overspray it, overdo it because it is so strong, you will start damaging the plant itself. Mm, The plant can only take so many applications before it also starts to take damage as well. So Mm -hmm. always, especially if you're using uh, copper, make sure you're mixing it properly, making sure you're disposing of it properly and making sure you're applying it at the, um, the, the number of times that the plant can only take before it starts to take damage okay Some so it's not on one life. of the banned ones for us it's not it one just... of the banned ones for us no and it's probably one of the mid-range or weaker ones
0: oh, just kind of okay. imagining
1: into the states what they probably yes have available, right yeah but for, for us sure. it's a big one yeah. for sure for sure
0: and i i want to do like i want to s- reassure people that if you do have a rose bush that is constantly an issue is constantly you're fighting disease um it's okay to like dig it up and yeah, start yeah. again you know they're like we we're mentioning the proven winners oh so easy the knockout roses I mean they really have improved um the The carpet roses and drift roses are much hardier as well. So, um, so yeah. So it's okay to say enough is enough, right? And and um, especially for those that want color without the ton of maintenance and chemical and and effort that goes mm-hmm. into it that really uh buying a more disease resistant plant is is a solution as well and i think when you look at the cost of a new rose bush versus the cost of the chemicals and the time spent yeah. uh you know to me it's a no brainer and and then you've got all the, the the prep like you said you've got to really make sure you keep the around the roses clean and then you should you should if you're trimming you should be bleaching or cleaning your pruners and always remember who remembers to do that, you know, when you go out in the garden? <laughs> so, um, so I do want to let everybody know that sometimes just, you know, just get rid of it, especially. And I think there's sometimes people move to a new house and they don't, so there's no real attachment to that rose bush, but they just, you know have it so they just think they'll just continue with it and they're trying to cope with all these issues but if it's been there a long time it doesn't owe you anything and if it's a ton of work and if it looks bad because it's covered in black spot every year then it's okay to dig it up and um, if it blooms well then obviously it um, is happy there if it's a nice sunny spot but look into some of the other more disease resistant options there are some
1: fantastic options fantastic options, options. yeah and that's then the main thing I think breeders are out for, the fragrance in this show, but the disease and pest resistance coming yes. out through the roses. Yeah. Um,
0: and, I, and I just don't think people realize that. I think they think yeah. all rose bushes are created equal yes, and, and, and that no, no matter what, all roses are going to get black spot. And, and that's really not the case. So I do want everybody to... Uh, to take that, you know, to get, you know, let them off the hook so they know that they can, that that is a solution just as much as it is a solution to spend another 15 bucks on another chemical or another spray um, or yeah. specific rose pruners or something like that. Spend 15 bucks and get a new rose bush, you know, or okay, maybe they're 30 bucks, but you know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I do want to say that. Um, so yes, so that is good. Um I have another question from our frequently asked question list and this is also very common. Um, we are moving and I want to take the rose bush my rose bush with me and um, in, in the fall so like this time of year so someone's moving they've sold the house. what is the best way to prep and to transport? So is that something we could do now like if you just put your house on the market and you want to move and take your rose bush with you um, so obviously you know, it it's uh, there's a little bit more to it at this time of year compared to moving it in, in the middle of the summer. But I think there's advantages, right? Because it's about to go dormant, that type of thing. Yes. Sorry. And thank you
1: for running Stalling. that Did I saw <laughs> this huge sneeze. Um, yeah. And, and fall, you know, that September, October time as, as things cool off and water, groundwater rises, especially for us Um, this is the time, as we've said before in past episodes as well, this is when it's the best time to start moving those, those shrubs, uh, and transplanting things, moving them around. Um, as far as, as grabbing your rose. Yeah. Like you would a shrub, you know, making sure that you're taking as big, um, as a root ball as you can manage, or digging in a little bit of extra width so you get some of those fibrous roots. Make sure you've got a container that you can fill that into. Let the soil fall apart when you dig it up. Let the root ball shed chunks of soil instead of going in there and chopping at those fibrous mm-hmm. roots as well. Just kind of let it tell you where its root ball is and what it's holding on to and then put that in there and then yeah take it as, as best you can um, to wherever you want if you can't plant it for a while this is where we can get into some issues with uh, just you know making sure that it stays cool but it has bright enough light roses are full if you've tried roses and you've had them fail remember too roses are full full sun plants they like it hot They like a heavier soil like a triple mix. They like moisture and they can be pretty good feeders when they're at it too but they want like eight plus hours of sunlight. They want to get as much sun as you can possibly give them. They are definitely sunbathers. So when you're transporting it make sure you don't put it away in like a shady spot around a corner. Make sure it does have bright indirect light but nice bright indirect light because it does want a lot of that sun and it is going to start to try to heal and then just make sure that you're keeping it moist Uh, and then you could use a phosphorus a high phosphorus fertilizer uh, if you wanted either if you've got it out of the pot for a long time or when you transplant it back in the ground just to help reduce some of that shock uh, to your roots they can absorb that phosphorus and start healing a little bit as well am I missing Oh, I okay. wonder, is there
0: an advantage of, um, let's say you are digging it out now in the fall, like October, November, um, but you're not sure if you're going to be able to plant it in, let's say, January, February kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So could you, could you put it in the pot and then put the pot, and this is something I've tried with other things is um, when you get to the new house or we get to wherever you're going, you know, or give it to, you know, a parent or somebody, you know, a friend and have them put it in their garden to get you through in that, you know, so it's already safe and secure and lots of native soil in the pot, but then dig a hole yeah. and pl- and actually put that pot in the ground. So you, it still thinks it's in you know, get going through the season properly, um, you know, and then when you get to your new place in the spring, then you can take it out and, and plant it. Is, is that acceptable? I mean, I've done that for other
1: things. Definitely. Yes, definitely. And that was definitely what I was uh, missing there for sure. Yeah. If you can't, what if you can't get to your house and put it in the ground? For sure. If you've got a friend or a family member who can plant it temporarily for you, uh, definitely the roots will not have established completely if at, at all she's just gonna Mm kind of heal and seal herself off and again she's getting the cold stimulus to go to sleep uh so just you know making sure she's mounded and protected again Uh, maybe if they've got kind of a little bit more of a protected spot they can spare some soil or some earth for you over the winter that's awesome for sure you can definitely overwinter it uh, that way as well. Whether it's in the pot or directly in the ground, I would leave it in the pot just for ease of transport again in the spring. Just yeah. slide it out when the ground is thawed and away you go. And again too, maybe they don't have um, someone where they can put something in the ground, but if you keep it, uh, again, as long as it's very well frozen and it is fully gone dormant, you can keep it in the front of a garage because you want you don't want it to be so, so cold in the very back Of the garage you want that more that frozen but that temperate freezing in the front of the garage really okay
0: okay you're not concerned about like the freeze and thaw then
1: not really because your garage will always tend to be shaded and colder anyways and you're going to keep it uh usually you keep it closed unless you kind of open it up on that march kind of day but you're not going to have that whole root ball thaw out for that long Long okay. period of time and then that mm-hmm. sun doesn't have it in the deep freeze where you know at the back of your garage depending on your garage as well and the orientation but it can get very very icy uh, and hold very long at the bottom and I've seen some plants uh, take some good damage and not really make it through the winter uh, mm-hmm. that way so the mm-hmm. front of the garage or the midsection of the garage where there's some air circulation and some sun warmth kind of appearing there is okay. uh, is good for overwintering too so you could do that way too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if you can put the pot in the ground, you know, always I think the that is
1: superior. Yeah, always I mean, the best.
0: And and I like the idea of not, you know, because if you can put sometimes people will just put plant them at some in a temporary location and then have to dig them up and plant them in the permanent. But then you're you're still messing with the roots a lot, you know, so I think there's something to be said for uh, keeping them in the pot and much yeah. like the growers right in the garden centers, they theirs are in their pots um that kind of thing so um so yeah so that's something to think about and i know there's lots of people with and and so i say that with roses i've done that with the hydrangeas as well yes um you know anything that uh um you know i used to love putting my little lime hydrangea in my urn for the summer and and just have some annuals down the pot and so i did that for a number of years but but come winter it couldn't stay in the container in my urn for for winter so I would just dig a hole somewhere in my garden and put the pot in and it would overwinter and then in the spring I can take it out so there's lots of plants um, so it's not just roses I think that's a so for all the gardeners out there that are preparing to sell their house or move or renters who are renting and then needing to move um you know that is it's a really you know you can take the things with you now is a perfect time to start uh, potting them up and and sinking them back in the ground and then when it's time to go you know, you're just taking that because yeah. sometimes I think, too, they don't you don't want to see all the holes while you're putting your house up for sale. Right. You want all yeah. the plants still in the gardens. So you don't want it to be too obvious. So you can do it, leave the plants in the garden. And then I'm, I'm sure you have to legally say that you're taking some plants with you or whatever, but then yeah. you can just take them with you. So I think it can be um, something um, you know, you can do at a slower pace instead of this panic of like, Oh my gosh, I got to take everything out today or whatever. So you can do it at a slower pace in anticipation of moving or into anticipation of, of doing any of that. So, um, so yeah, so that's something I, uh, again, many, many shrubs and perennials, right. Uh, they, cause they're just going to go to sleep and whether they go to sleep directly in the ground or directly in those pots,
1: it's fine. Exactly. And it's that protection from that freeze thaw that they've got them that keeps them nice and asleep and protected for the year. Yeah. That is right. I think we've got... Okay <laughs> Did you have um, another question? No, I, I well. We're I think, getting close to
0: the end of the show. We are getting close <laughs> to the end of the hopefully that's eight minutes and not eight
1: seconds. <laughs> yes. Eight minutes. We've got about Woo-hoo. eight minutes left.
0: Okay. That's
1: good. <laughs> that's good.
0: Uh, I, well, we did talk about black spot and we did talk, I mean, I think that's the number one thing. I think the number two thing, and some people might dispute the order of those two, um, issues with roses can, our thing, our, um, japanese beetles we can't talk about roses without oh, talking yeah. about japanese no, beetles yeah. um and i don't know if um and maybe you can answer this from your time working at the garden centers are the hardier like more disease resistant roses actually more tolerant of or more or less preferable to or whatever the, do the japanese beetles stay away from them or do japanese beetles pretty much take t- treat all roses the same
1: yeah, we, yeah, they tend to be, it's kind of where they end up landing or entering that rose section in the garden center, but I've seen them still on pretty much a little bit of everything, especially okay. right in the blossoms and on those mm. upper leaves, anywhere that nice soft tissue is, they still seem to be, uh, attacking them for sure. Um, yeah,
0: we yeah, had a, that's too bad.
1: it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the only thing that really saved our, um, some of our more recent ones like our carpets and knockouts and drifts and things like that was are uh, the way our garden center was oriented just later in the day, we got a little bit of shade over there. So it was still bright, but uh, very bright, but indirect light there. So the Japanese beetles tend to be more in the full sun because they slow down in the shade being insects, right? They don't generate their own heat. So they tended to be there, but not as, uh plentiful or in greater numbers there just because of that shade as well okay uh, yeah out in the full sun with the roses they seem to eat fairly indiscriminately.
0: well we've done a number
1: of shows about nematodes and
0: things you can do for japanese beetles so we'll definitely have those in the show notes um i think one of the most popular mistakes you know uh you know sometimes the traps can be controversial um I still think they're very effective. I think why yes. they're controversial is people um, t- tend to think uh, more is better. And it's that's not the case because then you're just, you know, you are attracting even more. And and uh, so, but I think the key is do not put the, ro- the trap beside your rose bushes or even yes. beside your garden. Your trap needs to be at a corner of your yard where there's nothing for them to eat and really draw them away from your plants. So yes. putting... And I think people like, you know, and I get it. They think, okay, if I put the trap right beside my roses or right in the middle of my garden, the beetles will go to the trap and then they'll ignore the plants. And that's not the case. I mean, they're certainly going to go to the trap, but they, you know, it's kind of like that they're going to visit the buffet, but they're going to stop at all the snacks on the way to the buffet. Yeah. You know? So I think you really, really, um, I do believe it's effective. They've been effective in my garden. I know I hung, um, I didn't have a ton this year. I've done nematodes in the past and I had a new lawn uh, put in this spring. So I was really hoping I didn't have you know, a lot of winter. I didn't, when they took up the old lawn they didn't find any grubs, but um, of course they're still in the area. So I hung it in a tree, you know, kind of at the other end of my yard and they, they went there. Uh, so yeah, so I didn't get a ton of damage but uh, that's really the only thing I know. People, the patient people among us, will pick them off their roses and drop them yeah. into <laughs> water and, and that kind of thing. So, uh, so yeah. So, other than that, there's really nothing we can do, right, Matt?
1: Yeah, I mean, up here as well, I I am definitely a huge fan of the traps. They're definitely effective. But again, I think people just, like you were describing, they just tend to misuse them. They put them Mm -hmm. too close to the plants. You need to put them 10, 15 feet away from plants out in, like, the side of your house or near, unfortunately, near a patio, depending on how your yard's laid out. But somewhere where they can't come to the trap and land on plants adjacent. So somewhere far away. Three to five feet off the ground
0: and... Out. And just one trap and if your neighbor yes, right yes. next to you has another has a trap like they need to be farther apart because yes. because that it is true like if you if you have that much pheromone then you are going to attract even more uh, to your yard and you don't want to do that so so definitely being sure you're talking maybe yours is in the front yard and your neighbors is in her backyard you can definitely work together um, but, uh, but definitely, and I know I had my, a good friend say to me, oh my, like a couple of years ago, oh my gosh, I can't believe how many Japanese beetles I'm getting in my backyard. Like my bags are just full, full, full. And I'm like bags. And she said, oh yeah, I put three traps up in my little backyard. And I'm like, no. So, you know, so I get it. And, uh, and many times more is better, but in this case, it, that's not the case. Right. So no,
1: they cover like yes. a. 70 foot diameter so like you want them like far apart right you want them like 70 feet or to 100 feet from trap to trap to give a little gap in there For sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I'm so glad we were
0: able to do this show, right? There's so much to talk about. And so many things people are worried about. But I hope we set your mind at ease that it is roses are low maintenance, there isn't a ton of work to do right now. Um, You know, it's just waiting for the first frost and, uh, and then uh, hilling. And if you've got those specific varieties, Right. And uh, we're excited that you hopefully enjoy this show. And we've got a couple other good shows. Uh, What are we talking about next week?
1: Yeah, next week, uh, Guy, uh, and I forget his last name, but Guy uh, is the owner of uh, Blue Star Nursery. Uh, located in Windsor, Ontario, Canada. He is going to join us next week, and we're going to talk all about garden centers, the trends, what to look for, all those tips and tricks when you move into those independent garden centers and what it's like to work and run one of those.
0: Yes, especially through the pandemic. So I think uh, I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, Uh, and I'm sure we can ask him a question about roses or or roses, So thank you, everybody, very much for joining us here on uh, Down the Garden Path. We'll see you next week.